You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, this is Paul Lazarus. In the 1980s, I produced and hosted a radio series called Anything Goes, a celebration of the American musical theater. Now the Broadway Podcast Network is bringing back these shows. This is the first of a three-part series featuring noted musical theater historian Robert Kimball discussing Cole Porter's work in the 1930s. This program originally aired in 1983 and featured many Porter shows, including The New Yorkers, You Never Know, and this podcast namesake, Anything Goes. When every night the set that smart is intruding and nudist parties in studio, Anything Goes. Good afternoon, and welcome to Anything Goes. I'm your host, Paul Lazarus, and I'm very pleased today to have as my guest noted musical theater historian Robert Kimball. I've asked Bob to come down today because of the occasion of his latest book called The Complete Lyrics of Cole Porter, just out and published by Alfred A. Knopf. Welcome, Bob. Paul, I'm really happy to see you again. Last time you were here, we uh, we did a kind of melange program. We, we'd covered everybody from uh, Irving Berlin to uh, Cicel and Blake, and, and I just want to mention some of the other uh, books that you've contributed in, in this uh, pursuit of the history of musical theater. You wrote the other rather uh, prominent book on Cole Porter called Simply Cole uh, with Brendan Gill, well, Brendan Gill introduced it, and uh, reminiscing with Cicel and Blake, uh, The Gershwins with Al Simon. You did that wonderful uh, collection of unpublished Cole Porter songs. and uh, But now, uh, the definitive uh, collection of lyrics of Cole Porter. And in honor of the this book being published, we thought today um, that Bob and I would talk about Cole Porter in the 30s, which I, I guess is his richest period, and uh, play uh, many selections from, from that era. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about the book first before we get to the 30s. When, when did you start putting this book together? Fifteen years ago, 1968, I think, is when I first had the idea of doing this, and it, it went like many, many other projects. It went forward, and then it stopped. Nine years ago, I signed a contract to do it with a publisher, and finally, it's out this year. Um, that's terrific, too. It's, it's wonderful. It's not only just uh, the lyrics. There's notes on just about every song and pictures. And um, I know as, as, a, as a director, it's a tremendous help because you've amassed uh, verses that I didn't even know about uh, on a show that I'm working on, which is, and I hope this will help other people, too, when they, 
put these shows together. Tell me a little bit about uh, the work of putting a book like this together. I mean, it's uh, phenomenal. I imagine the research took you to, to many different places. It's, a, it's like a huge jigsaw puzzle in which you know that many of the parts will never be found. And you do the best you can, and finally you just have to say stop at some point. It's got to be done, even though you know that there are lyrics out there that will turn up someday, yeah, probably you, a week after the book comes out. You mentioned to me that you, you already think that somebody's found some new ones that you, you wish oh, you could. Always, that always happens. And uh -huh. In fact, it, that's one of the main purposes of doing this kind of work, is you want to help get other people to be involved in the whole process of getting more material and making it better known for everybody who wants to use it. What would you say is the most surprising thing you discovered uh, about uh, about a lyric or, uh, or about his lyrics in, in the course of putting this book together? That so many of his songs were unpublished, had not been previously published. More than 400 of the 800 lyrics in this book have never been printed before. I think that was the most surprising thing uh -huh. for me. Uh -huh. Well, we're going to talk about a, a lot of individual lyrics today, but uh, I think we both decided to focus on the 30s because, in essence, his career uh, really uh, hit, hit uh, its full force in the 30s, and if anything, he had a very slow beginning. Uh, I, do you, what do you count for the fact that it took him so long to, to make a name for himself? I and mean, one of our greatest composer lyricists. I think that part of Porter's problem was that he was from such a different world from people who were in the songwriting business and, and part of the theater business in New York. And that was, a, for musical theater writers, it was an apprenticeship that you served. You would go to work for a, a publishing company as a song demonstrator. You might be the kind of guy who would, if you were a composer, would show up at a theater somewhere, play a song, you'd have a shill planted in the audience who would know the lyric instantly, and as soon as you played the song, he would get up from the second balcony and <laughs> sing it right back, showing how easy it was to learn the song. <laughs> You'd work in the five and ten cent stores. You would, you would plug songs for vaudeville artists. Uh, George Gershwin did that, and that's how he met Fred Nadella Astaire back when he was a teenager. He was plugging songs, and, and I, I, he became familiar with their work. And then if you were lucky enough, you got a chance to interpolate songs in reviews, and then you'd write your own review. And then from there, you'd have the opportunity to begin to write musical comedies. So it was a very, for a composer, it was a very exciting way to do that. Now, Porter's approach was very different. First of all, he was a college graduate. He, his apprenticeship, in a sense, was writing shows for the Yale Dramat and for uh, the fraternity he was, of which he was a member, Delta Kappa Epsilon. So he had five shows written before he got out of school. But he was separate and apart. Part of it was he was quite wealthy, and he didn't really have to go down there and, and, and work and make a living. And he, he felt somewhat away from it. He didn't really know how to get involved. And when he did come in with songs which he really liked and which were characteristic of his style, the publishers found them totally uncommercial. So he was rejected quite frequently by many of the publishers. Mm -hmm. And he, didn't, he wasn't in a position to fight very hard for his material either. And so consequently he was frequently thrown out of reviews when he started to write for reviews in the late teens and in the early twenties. And the more he tried to imitate others, as he saw that other people were successful, like Berlin and Gershwin, he began to try to imitate them. And, and Berlin said, listen, you're doing the wrong thing. You, you've got your own thing. Do it. Mm. And finally, by the end of the 20s, he began to have the opportunity to write from a point of view of an American who had gone to Europe, was part of the literary generation who lived in Europe. He had an interesting perspective on America as a, as a lyricist and as a composer because he was very well verse composer and had studied the Scola Cantorum and, and knew his thing quite well. 
And so having had that kind of experience and training, it gradually, through the efforts of Berlin and other people, he was prodded back to Broadway. And when he wrote the song Let's Do It for Irene Bordoni in, in 1928, that really was, I think, the big turning point in his career. And from at that point, he had two shows in 29. And interestingly, the last show to open in New York in the decade, Wake Up and Dream, mm -hmm. in 1929. And whenever other, other people were, were hit very, very hard by the crash and the depression, Porter had already realized what many people were learning, that money didn't buy happiness. He had wealth, and he was, like everybody else, troubled, uncertain, filled with anxieties about what human relationships were like. And when other people were thrown by it, and he stayed right in Broadway, hung in there during that period, particularly in the early 30s, and he sent a message of civilized cheer to the world, which helped to reassure people that, yes, it's okay, you're going to survive even that. And I think that's one of the reasons he became almost like a musical spokesperson for that decade. It was his most prolific decade. He also had more shows that didn't make Broadway <laughs> or more <laughs> film scores during that period. And it was also the decade of the, of the riding accident. But right. we can see Porter's career really in full force, the very top of his profession. We see him working very, very hard, successfully, and experimenting and also experiencing the difficulties that you have in trying to work within the framework of American commercial system, which has some restrictions about what you can say in a lyric. Right. So he was dealing with all kinds of interesting problems. Well, the first show of that decade for him was The New Yorkers. Um, and uh, we wanted to, to play a few songs from that score. Uh, the first one is I'm Getting Myself Ready for You, which is a song that I, that I don't know that well. That's a, it's in many ways a typical 20s dance band type song, and that's the kind of thing that, that record companies like, because after all, a lot of the music that was published in that decade particularly was for dancing. And this is really a dance to dance band arrangement of it. And it's a period recording. Period recording. Cause I'm getting myself ready for you To be 
sure of being worthy of you, dear, in every way. I'm building a perfect physique. And beside which I want you to holler hooray when first you see me and my soldiers speak. If you still feel I need a meal, I'll risk an olive or two. But I'm getting myself ready for you. ready for you from Cole Porter's The New Yorkers in 1930, his first show of the 30s, which is the decade that we are examining today. And my guest is Robert Kimball, whose book just came out, The Complete Lyrics of Cole Porter. Uh, this score had some wonderful, wonderful things in it, including uh, our next song, which is one of the, the greater odes to New York that have ever been penned, I think. And one of the most, uh, I think, underappreciated. It's it's, it's like an explosion. I, I, it's hard to define, but it just builds and builds it and builds. builds. And uh, I think Jeff London can tell us a lot about about it musically. I've always thought, and maybe wrongly, that 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 sort of repeated figure that runs through the song, steady re repetition, is similar in ways to Bizet's The Carillon from Larlazy Inn. The Porter would know those things, and he would intuitively grasp it. It's, it, it builds. It is a very powerful song. It's an incredibly a unique moving, song for 1932. Song. And I've just noted here that that the first mention I've ever seen of the song was in a, in a piece in the New York Evening Journal, where it said that Cole Porter has sailed away to Monte Carlo for a vacation. This is right after the show had opened. The song wasn't in the show when it opened. Mm -hmm. The whole town is whistling and singing the big hit songs in the New Yorkers written by Porter and a song which caused Porter to wireless Ray Getz from mid-ocean where he was two days out at sea, the title being I Happen to Like New York, and it was put in the show in January of 1931. I happen to like New York I happen to like this town I like the city air, I like to drink of it The more I know New York, the more I think of it I like the sight and the sound and even the stink of it I happen to like New York I like to go to Battery Park And watch those liners booming in I often ask myself why should it be That they should come so far from across the sea I suppose it's because they all agree with me They happen to like New York Last Sunday afternoon I took a trip to Hackensack and after I gave Hackensack the once-over, I took the next train back. I happen to like this town. I happen to love this burg. And when I have...
have to give the world a last farewell And the undertaker starts to ring my funeral bell I don't want to go to heaven, don't want to go to hell I happen to like New York I happen to like New York Harold Lang singing I happen to like New York Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Cole Porter's New Yorkers, Porter was endlessly stretching the limits of the mores of the time, and uh, I think this next song from New Yorkers particularly illustrates that bomb. It's amazing to me, really, that, that uh, he even ventured this kind of lyric at that point. Yes, even, even after he'd written these very frank songs about, about love, like Let's Do It and What Is This Thing Called Love, this song really is unusual. It's a very realistic song about prostitute. It's beautifully written, but it, the fact is it's about a streetwalker. And it was unthinkable to, to have a song like that in a Broadway show. It was certainly quickly thought to be unthinkable to broadcast it, its lyric on the air. And it was even difficult to present it in the show. It, um, it faced all kinds of problems in the presentation. Where would it fit? And it was only, they tried it with various combinations, and everybody found it a little bit, you know, difficult to take. So they finally brought in, quote, a colored girl and have her set outside of a Harlem club. Mm. And that was accepted. Hmm. Elizabeth Welsh, the great Elizabeth Welsh, who went on to do the songs in, in, in Imperent and uh, many, many other shows, who's still a wonderful performer today, introduced the song. Hmm. Finally, after it went through all these switches with the three girlfriends. And it's very complicated. Some people thought this song should be censored and said so. And it was not allowed on the radio for many years. Many, many years. Last, maybe the last 15 or 20, it began to come back on. People would always hear the music and almost never the lyric. Hmm. And this version is performed by Libby Holman. Right. Right. Love for sale.
sale from the New Yorkers. Gay divorce uh, came along in 1932. I always have amused um, when I hear about the movie having to be changed to gay divorcee and all of that. It's a, it's a different time in the 1930s than, than what we live in today. Fred Astaire was the, the, the main performer in that. How did Porter get him to do this show? There's, there's a story there, I think. This was a, it turned out to be Fred Astaire's very last Broadway show. And apparently he met him in Paris and he felt he was auditioning for him. He really wanted to make a good impression on Fred Astaire. And he played after you who and after, or after you as it's often called, and Fred liked it. And talking years later, about ten years ago with Fred Astaire about people he worked with, he had great affection for Porter, Gershwin, and others. He just felt very happy to be honored to have the opportunity to sing the songs. Well, he created so many great songs. But you know, he left Broadway after the show and never returned. And uh, he, in talking about the Broadway of that period and earlier, he felt he said it was a wonderful place. He, he said, you, you guys can't even begin to know what a great experience it was to work there then and how painful it is for me to walk back and look at the streets and see what's become of it. So he never liked to come back, and people mm. often tried to get him to come back and do other shows, but he said he just didn't feel the same way. Now, how much of it had to do with the departure of his sister Adele, also, who had worked with him for so many years. Hmm. Then again, he started so young on the stage as a, as a teenager, but this was his show, first show he went all by himself, in effect, in a starring role. Um, this song, I don't have to say anything about this song, except that Fred Astaire introduced it, and 
How do you account for the phenomenal success of a song like this? I mean, do you have any theories about why a song like this takes off? I don't know. Maybe you, you can tell me after we hear it. Let's listen to it. This is Night and Day. I think you'll recognize it. Like the beat, beat, beat of the tom-tom When the jungle shadows fall Like the tick-tick-tock of the saintly clock As it stands against the wall Like the drip, drip, drip of the raindrops When the summer shower is through So a voice within me keeps repeating You, you, you Night and day You are the one Only you beneath the moon And under the sun Whether near to me or far It's no matter, darling Where you are, I think of you Night and day Day and night Why is it so That this longing for you Follows wherever I go In the roaring traffic's boom In the silence of my lonely room I think of you Night and day, night and day, under the height of me, there's an oh such a hungry yearning burning inside of me, and its torment won't be through till you let me spend my life making love to you day and night, night and day. just one of those things that, uh, <laughs> I don't know, how do you explain that? He, Porter was an incredible inventor of his own life, you know, if you know what I mean by that. I, I, I was reading your note for this song that the music to Night and Day was inspired, or Porter claimed that the music to Night and Day was inspired by a Mohammedan call to worship he'd heard in Morocco. 
He also said he had finished the song on the beach in Newport, Rhode Island. There are so many stories surrounding the writing of his songs. He was a wonderful sort of breeder of these anecdotes about himself, wasn't he? I think he had a, a great sense of fun about it, and he wanted to, I think, mischievously mislead people, as which he did quite often with a number of jokes. And also, I don't think he was upset at all when Cary Grant played him in the movie. Oh, no. he was <laughs> he, At first, he, oh, he was delighted. It was actually his choice. But later on, he began to have second thoughts after the movie came out. People <laughs> would say things to him that weren't altogether complimentary about his resemblance to him. Oh, <laughs> then the movie. <laughs> 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 you were suffering by comparison, I guess. Once again, this is a song I'm not that familiar with from this score, How's Your Romance. Um, what do you like about this song? Why did you pick this one? I think it's an extraordinarily exuberant number, and it, it showed, again, the Porter's ability during this time of, of great stress for everyone to come forward and talk about romance in a, in a sort of mischievous way, a kind of, oh, well, you know, another romance. We'll go on and have some more fun. That's what he wanted people to do. In Italy, the signore are so very amatore that their passion a priori is amore. And the Napoli and Pisa, every man has on his knees a little private Mona Lisa to adore. Is it always amore? Siempre amore. The result is when Italians meet a friend along the way. Instead of saying, how's your health? They say, how's your romance? How is it going? Waning or glowing? How's your romance? Does she or not love you an awful lot? Cool, tepid, warm or hot? How's your moment you met her, swear that you will never forget her. Do you, when she sends you a letter, begin to go into a dance? Break me the news, I'm with you in all news. Please tell me who's and how's your romance. Do you, from the moment you met him, swear that you will never forget him. And he wants you to let him begin to go into a dance. Break me the news. I'm with you in all loose. Please tell me who's and how's your romance. Bobby Short. How's your romance from the gay divorce? You've been listening to Robert Kimball on Cole Porter, Part 1. Anything Goes Backstage with Broadway's Best is produced and hosted by Paul Lazarus. 
For more information, visit anythinggoespl.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and follow us. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.